Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman, and I'm here with my co-host, Laura Chan Baker. Hello. Hello. I don't know if I'm into this new style, Jeremy. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta spice it up. Here at Jackie Winter, our roles put us right in the center of the action, in between client and creative, so we get to see all sides of the process. This season, as Laura eats her way around Mexico, the two of us are coming together via the wonders of the internet to look at what's shaping the issues, processes, happenings, and ideas across the creative industries today. This week, we are going through our open tabs, and we'll be discussing sex toy lawsuits and how not to suck at color. Laura, first things first, the best thing you've eaten this week. Take it away. I'm so disturbed by your audition for movie phone. But anyway, the best thing I ate this week, my auntie brought me home today, a muegano, which I had never heard of or tried before. It's basically this like Mexican sweet thing. It's lots of like, like lots of little balls of dough deep fried. And then they're like stuck together in a bigger ball and coated in this like thin caramel made from like this unprocessed brown, like cane sugar. And it was just insanely yummy. It's kind of tastes like a mix between a honey joy and like a fried donut. It's very good. Ah, it's like a metaphor for my life. I love it. <laughs> and where are you in the world today and where are you heading next? Because I think your time in Mexico is almost about to um, end. Is that right? Are you going yes, north? Yes, exactly. So I'm going to go north. I'm going about to go. First, I've got to do some work for you. Then I can leave Mexico City. Then I, I'm going to go north to a town called San Miguel de Allende and then to Guanajuato, to Guadalajara, see some family. And then me and my cousins are going to the beach, to Puerto Vallarta. So life's pretty damn good over here, or it will be in a few days. Amazing. And when do you go up to New York and hook up with the crew over there? Oh, you know what? I still haven't bought my flights and I'm an idiot because now it's so expensive. I know. I know, Jeremy. I know. If anyone wants to sponsor a child, I would really love some help. But yeah, I'm going to go on like around the 26th of July. Excellent. Okay. I will get stuck into it right away with my first link of the week. And well, there's no real kind of title, but um, it's, it's, I'm calling it Dame Sues the MTA. And this is Dame, the company suing the New York Metropolitan Transit Association. Um, it's kind of a bit of a two for one link in here, but it's another gem from our professional development channel. And I'm not sure where Bianca is managing to pluck all these from, but there's a few beauties that she's been putting in there recently. So if you're listening to this, Bianca, thank you very much. Bianca is a very widely read, I think, you know, on LinkedIn and Slacks and other Slack channels. So yeah, thank you, babe. So look, this is a blog post from Dame. They're a company that pretty much exclusively makes sex toys. All of them all amazingly designed and wrapped up in an incredibly body and sex positive brand with some amazing illustrations to boot. Very contemporary. And like most startups vying for a similar audience, advertising on or near public transport is pretty much the holy grail of engagement, especially for this very specific kind of type of brand and type of audience. I think once you kind of see it, you might know what I mean. And the blog post details their experience of approaching New York's MTA. And basically, MTA has a media agency and they kind of sell advertising in all of their kind of stations, subway stations, train stations, etc. And they got initial approval to kind of run it in, I think, July of last year, maybe. And then there was a five-month period where they kind of worked with them to get ads approved and everything. And then five months later in November, they not only had their ads rejected, but their entire business basically being barred from advertising. And one of the emails that they're quoting from reads, they were blocked citing, and I quote, its own updated guidelines preventing sexually orientated businesses from advertising. This made us wonder, why are pharmaceutical and supplement companies like Hims, Hers, and Wellco allowed to advertise on the subway? And so this led to formal 
legal action being taken against the MTA to protest their policy, which is, I guess, my actual link for the week, which is the amazing 40-page complaint that was drafted, and understandably so. I don't know, maybe it's a symptom of how dry our industry is that <laughs> a touch of scandal is always immediately interesting to look at, especially legal ones. But the writing in this complaint is seriously worth a read. It's not your average legal jargon, but some really great storytelling. So I'm just going to take the first paragraph, and I'm going to quote directly from here. I'm in a few places. So it starts, the very first thing on the first page. Imagine you're a woman standing in an MTA subway car. Look left and you see phallic cactuses, both flaccid and erect, which promote erectile dysfunction medication beneath the slogan, hard made easy. Look right and your eye catches an advertisement for king-size condoms or foil package shiny. Across the way is an image of a woman, midriff exposed and her bra visible beneath her sheer shirt. The ad, which touts female libido medication, reads, turned on on your terms. And just overhead are advertisements for the Museum of Sex featuring sets of naked buttocks or women dancing in a room full of inflated plastic breasts. The complaint then shows some of the relevant imagery um, to those ads and then goes on to say, again, I'm quoting here, each one was displayed in full view of every New Yorker who uses public transport to commute, adults and children alike. The businesses behind each advertisement reaped the tremendous financial benefit and prestige of advertising space on the NTA's well-trafficked property. But what you do not see in the subway car, in the station, or anywhere else around you are advertisements for Plaintiff Dame's product, which manufactures tasteful innovative and widely praised tools for women's sexual wellness. You do not see Dame's advertisements because the MTA, in contravention of the First Amendment, due process, equal protection, and common sense, has banned them from being displayed on MTA property. This is closed out essentially by claiming the rights to free speech are being violated and calls for a trial by jury. It's a pretty strong and compelling case in my limited legal knowledge and definitely worth a read. And We've talked many times here about how advertising or really any visual content whatsoever can affect your mental and physical state. And I think for me, I totally understand where Dame are coming from. I mean, it costs a lot of money to advertise on the subways. And I think, you know, if you get to that amazing point where you can actually kind of afford it, that's um, a pretty significant step. It puts you kind of in line with a bunch of other companies and advertisers. So not, I mean, just from a business perspective, not being able to make your message is one thing, but also seeing all these other people can do it. It seems completely unfair, especially considering the other advertisers they're flagging here. I mean, again, you really need to see this visually to kind of graph this. So, you know, we'll try to post some of these, but yeah, go through the complaint. Oh, yeah. Like every other link I've been talking about the last few weeks, this comes back to parenting for me in some way or another. I think, you know, my kids are at the age where they're questioning literally everything they see. And I'm trying to put myself in the position where if I was on the subway for them, you know, what would I have to explain to them? I'd have no problem like talking to them about these ads, like I, I can really visualize and that kind of seems really simple. But I don't know if I had to talk about like breast implants or Botox, I think that would be a bit harder for some reason that would raise some kind of bigger questions. Yet those are ads that are on the subway, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, the MTA and their media company, they have a hard job. I mean, how do they police this and set guidelines without kind of infringing civil liberties or other things? But yeah, I mean, this is, you know, free speech is a very kind of big issue, especially in America. And all that said, at the end of the day, regardless of the result of this, I think there's some major wins for Dame here. They definitely tapped into a growing sense of inequality and injustice in advertising in general. And I think, you know, good on them for putting their money where their mouth is, because I reckon they're already getting some amazing free advertising out of this, perhaps more than they would have gotten if they got their message out there. But I think this is like, a, yeah, I don't know, a real kind of aside, but like kind of a big thing for me in terms of the actual kind of creativity and communication of this kind of strategy 
one of the biggest takeaways I got that I think I actually learned more about the company and vibrators in general than I actually did from their website and all their amazingly crafted communications. I mean, like all the content there is kind of all positive and reaffirming, but it just it actually made me a bit sad that most things online have to be simplified so much to cater for our limited attention spans and have to be kind of so visual and kind of emotional and I don't know, the amazing, juicy and relevant details kind of get squeezed out. Oh my God, Jeremy, I think about like writing copy for our own websites for different things that we do. And then like every time the partners we're working with telling us wisely that like, no, you need to cut this down to like one quarter of what you've written. But it hurts because the information is good. I get it. I know the information is good. And it's like, you know, and we do a complex thing. I mean, so like, I mean, yeah, I totally understand there is like jargon and kind of things like that. And like there's ways of writing and writing that as long as bad. And that's why I really love this, not because of actually the legal case, but actually just the writing and the way that this kind of this thing was put together. Because I mean, in the draft complaint, there's a whole section called Dame's Mission to Close the Pleasure Gap and Promote Sexual Health and Wellness. And it amazingly has some dot points that clearly demonstrate why vibrator usage is a valuable tool for healthcare providers in the treatment of sexual function concerns. I'm quoting there. It's a bit dry overall, but I felt that in two pages of neatly outlined text and clear writing, I understood more about Dame's background, mission, and product than I did about from their whole website. So I don't know, maybe our next website should just be a giant <laughs> PDF deposition. I feel like I, I learned a lot of these through. things from their website as well. I think you just have to dig a little bit, but yeah. You do. You do. I just, I mean, I think it's just, it's, it's funny, you know, just like sometimes it's, I enjoy the narrative experience of kind of reading this and like, yeah, maybe it's because I'm also not very smart. I like reading things that are numbered that kind of explain that, that have like, You're I like very that legal smart, thought. But I'm everyone like, lacks clarity. Yeah. yeah but like, I, I just like the fact that like, you know, legal arguments have to build up to an argument and kind of create these kind of points. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. But I mean, Lara, as always, I'm curious to hear your take. I mean, from a conceptual side, what side of the argument do you come down on? I mean, I'm also curious to hear more about what public advocacy advertising looks like in Mexico at the moment. I and mean, we've talked about how different countries have really kind of interesting and different approaches to how they're dealing with the visual landscape in their cities. Clearly, New York subways offer some of the hottest media spaces around simply because of the number of people there, many of whom are captive audience. But obviously, capturing that attention is incredibly difficult with smartphones and everything. So are you seeing the same things in your travels? Or are there any other trends that you've picked up on as well? Oof, okay. First part of your question. I mean, I think you can kind of take one swift guess at what side I'm on, Jeremy. I mean, I'm both a female and a big old lefty. And I'm also someone who deeply appreciates a product and a campaign that is so beautifully, cleverly, considerately researched, uh, developed and promoted, of which I think, I think Dame absolutely fits the bill. As you said, Jeremy, the full complaint document is amazing. It's 40 pages, as you said, but it only takes like 15, 20 minutes to get through because it's kind of just like dot points and there's lots of images and stuff. And it is so worth a read because I think it's a brilliant example of persuasive argument writing, which I mean, obviously, as you said, legal documents have to be, but they're also often written with so much jargon and just so much reference to kind of, I don't know, legal sort of clauses and statutes and various things that it really doesn't make any sense to anyone outside of the legal profession. This is the opposite. I feel like such a perfect balance between feeling like, I mean, in my limited knowledge, feeling legally strong, but also actually really simple to understand, which is so vital when you're making an argument, especially if they want a jury trial. I imagine they're going to present the case similar to this if it goes ahead. And I, if you're having a jury trial, you want the jury to be able to understand your argument really, really easily. That's kind of, that's, that's really, really key. And I think this is just really solid stuff. There's one section where they actually include an email sent by Dame's CEO, Alexandra Fine, to the MTA when she was arguing against the rejection of the ads. And 
oofed. Jeremy, she is a good email writer. I like, and so I can tell that she's clearly had some influence on this document as well. I think that email, it's worth reading this document just for her email as like training for yourself on how to write a good email. It's everything. It's like, it's impassioned, but it's not accusatory. It's emphatic, but it, it acknowledges the feelings and the needs of the other side. It's stern, but it also offers solutions. And I just think it's great stuff. And in the complaint statements themselves, there are some pretty strong strong sentiments. For example, uh, and I quote, the MTA's decision to reject Dame's advertisements reflects no legitimate principle of law. Instead, it reveals the MTA's sexism, its decision to privilege male interests in its advertising choices, and its fundamental misunderstanding of Dame's products, which have transformed the sexual health and wellness of more than 100,000 consumers. In 2019, the MTA's Victorian view of female sexuality and the First Amendment cannot stand. The MTA's censorship of Dame's advertisements cannot stand. All New Yorkers and all women deserve better. And I mean, I wholeheartedly agree, but I can also totally picture like a barrister standing up in court and making this impassioned argument to a jury. It's like, oh, I can totally, totally say it. But Jeremy, you mentioned thinking about how you might explain this to your kids and that you'd be happy to. And I mean, no doubt it's tough to explain anything to do with this kind of stuff to someone who's young and who's kind of pre-sexuality for the most part. And I can't imagine what I'll do, Jeremy, if one day, you know, my beautiful dog, Jessie, starts asking me questions about this stuff. But if the policy put forward by the MTA is about, you know, not doing harm to those who view this content, then there really is no leg to stand on because there's nothing at all offensive or damaging in these ads. I think personally, I think it's quite the opposite, which which Dame go to great lengths to prove in the complaint and far more damaging at any of the many multitudes of ads for most beauty products or magazines, clothing, surgery, or, or just about any product targeted towards men. Explaining those to children must be tough or worse, not explaining them. And then them just growing up with these twisted notions of what women's bodies should look like and be used for. As the complaint reads, um, they're referring to an ad that was previously displayed in the MTA for women's libido medication. And I quote, the MTA is apparently comfortable advertising a product that renders women physically aroused enough for successful penetration. But the MTA stops short when asked to advertise a product that ensures women actually enjoy penetration and other forms of sexual activity. That is censorship. It is sexism and it entrenches a profoundly damaging vision of women's sexuality and equality. Amen. That doesn't say amen in the document. That's me. Now, just, I mean, because you wanted to know about my experiences with advertising in Mexico. And I guess, to be honest, I haven't been paying all that much attention. And I also haven't seen anything kind of remotely interesting. I think I've seen absolutely zero illustration in advertising so far, which is, which is interesting. And I have been keeping an eye out for that, but really nothing's caught my attention. That said, like I, I haven't been taking the subway much at all or watching TV, but there are billboards everywhere and they're all just boring as hell. I mean, the thing that I've definitely noticed though, is that so many of the ads, like basically all of them, feature white people, like light-haired, tall, skinny white people. And if you look around Mexico or most places except like Denmark, it's just like not what people look like. And I know we have the same problem in Australia, right, of not having always having the best representation. But here it's even more obvious because of just how vastly different the people represented in these ads look from the general population. I mean, there are definitely some like serious class and race issues here in Mexico, which which you see play out in many different ways, of course. And they've been kind of really interesting and obviously depressing to kind of come to terms with during what's one of my like first trips here as an adult and where I can really sort of really notice things in a way that I haven't in my sort of 
10, 12 other trips when I've been much, much younger. But one place that, yeah, it's been immediately noticeable is definitely the advertising. And, you know, advertising often reflects reflects and distorts the kind of values of a society. And it's it's been interesting, even though the ads themselves are not interesting, to kind of see that across the country. Laura, really valuable feedback as always. And look, I'm not kind of sure where this kind of case has gotten to, you know, because I was trying to see if, if there was yet yeah, any recent updates, but there was nothing that I could find. But it's definitely something I'm going to keep tabs on. And as soon as we have more info, we'll, we'll report it back here, but move on from there. Laura, our second link from the week, something very close to my heart because it's something that I literally have no skill in. Take it away. What do you got? (laughs) Jeremy, I sucked it up and I started paying the 50 bucks a year for a medium account. It was killing me. Don't worry, I'll bill you later. So, okay. I actually used this as one of my like extra end of the episode links a few weeks ago, but now that I have a Medium account, I was able to actually finish reading it and I thought I'd bring it to the table in full today because it was an easy, enjoyable read and quite a few artists I shared it with let me know that they actually found it super useful too. So it is from the Modus blog on Medium and it's called How to Not Suck at Color. Armed with a few simple techniques, you can stop making people's eyes bleed, <laughs> which I, I think is a great sell. So it's not really a big discussion piece for us. It's, it's just one I thought was quite useful. So rather than you and I having back and forth about our feelings on the topic, of which I know you have many, I would rather just share some of the tips that the author, who is this um, illustrator, designer, animator called Greg Gunn, and he's a total gun, some of the tips he put together. And Jeremy, if you have anything to add, then of course the floor is yours. So for most- No, no, I have literally nothing to add here. This is all about <laughs> me being educated. No, Jeremy, I love hearing about your phobias of color and I'm sure some of our audience would enjoy hearing about that too, but probably safer if we don't go into it. So for most of us, I think working with color well is actually quite hard. I think as Greg puts it, it's this kind of intangible and visual experience that comes with an emotional response. It's a complex thing when you really think about it and it can be intimidating to work with. And, you know, maybe it's the high stakes that come with it. Use color the right way and it will make the experience richer and more vibrant, but use color the wrong way and it'll make your eyes bleed. Well, I mean, not literally, of course, but it will look bad and the world will judge you accordingly. And Generally, color theory is like kind of boring and overcomplicated and hard to actually put into practice. And I love the way that Greg simplifies this into actionable tools. So he begins with the basics and I'm going to read from the piece here. To really know what color is, we need to understand its ingredients. Every color breaks down into three fundamental attributes, hue, saturation, and value. You might recognize these characters from your favorite design app, though sometimes they'll be referred to as HSB. Hue is literally the name of the color that you're looking at. It's kind of like the clinical term for color. No matter how bright or intense the color is, the hue, the underlying base color, remains the same. So red, violet, orange, all hues. Think of it as the main ingredient in a color's recipe. The second key attribute of a color is saturation. Think of saturation as the amount of spiciness in a flavor. The more saturated a color is, the more intense its hue. And the less saturated a color is, the closer to gray it gets. Take a mid-range blue, for example, looks like a regular old blue, nothing suspicious here, but add a bit of saturation and the intensity gets stronger. Add too much saturation and it goes all hyperlinky. Conversely, if we pull back the saturation, we lose that intensity and our hyperlink blue becomes a cool gray. The last slice of the color pie is value. Value is basically the brightness of a color. And in most design software, I'm looking at you, Adobe, you will see it called brightness instead of value. 
There are two additional terms to describe the value of a color, tint and shade. A tint is a color mixed with white, making it brighter. And you're never going to believe this, but a shade is a color mixed with black, thus making it darker. So now that you understand the basics of how to define color, you can start to look at it differently. And when you're in Photoshop trying to find that perfect shade of chartreuse, you'll know if it needs a bump in saturation or just some brightness tuning. Now you might be thinking, but Greg, how do I use colors together? Great question. And rather than go deep into color theory and how to pair colors, I'm going to keep it simple. Take a look at this example. So from here, Greg shows two examples. It's the exact same illustration, but with varying color palettes. And one hurts to look at and one is very pleasing. And he then kind of proceeds to go over the top three reasons why bad color palettes, why a color palette might not be working. The first reason is that there are too many colors. So Greg's general rule of thumb is to try sticking with two or three different colors at most, any more than that. And you really kind of need to know what you're doing because it can start to get real ugly real fast. Uh, and just to clarify, because it took me a moment to work it out until later, what Greg kind of means here is is the hues. So you have three types of blue, four types of green, two oranges maybe, but overall you've still got three different base colors only. So blue, green, orange. So his second suggestion is that there might be too much saturation. So as Greg writes, saturation is another case of a little goes a long way. Overly saturated color gets your attention like a moth to a flame. But if too many colors in a design are hypersaturated, kind of hurts to look at. Resist the urge to give all of your colors lots of saturation. Think of your color scheme like music. You don't want the volume of every instrument to be at 11 the whole time. You want it to flow. Some parts are quiet, some parts are loud, and same goes for color. Greg mentions that he personally likes to start things off by keeping all of his colors in the mid to low end of the saturation scale. And then he can see how they interact with one another before adjusting. Uh, for example, what might look like a dull yellow on its own might really pop off the screen when it's placed over a kind of cool, dark gray color. So his advice is always to start with less saturation than you think and then adjust it to taste. So the third and final reason, which Greg feels is actually the most important, is not enough contrast. And basically, you want to ensure that the values of the colors aren't too close together. And if you remember, we outlined what value was earlier, values the brightness, because without enough contrast, your colors are going to fight for your eyeball's attention and, and you won't like what you see. So his great trick was to switch things to black and white so you can get a clear read on things. So for example, if you're in Photoshop, you can just add an adjustment layer, black and white adjustment layer, and then you can see really obviously whether the contrast is working well or not. I thought this was a really neat little trick for someone who's kind of having some trouble with this stuff. And then from this point in the piece, Greg goes back to those two illustration examples from earlier on, the ones that I mentioned where it's the same piece, different color palette. And he breaks down step-by-step step how he puts each of these theories into practice to get a much nicer finished product. And the whole piece is peppered with really fantastic imagery and gifts that help illustrate all the points. And I know all of these things might seem like common sense, but it's the first easy piece I've found that really helps to actually put this stuff into practice and, and kind of easily use fundamental rules to adjust levels in Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever you're using. And several artists told me that they're already putting this stuff into practice after reading the piece. And that kind of surprised me because it was from people that I thought already had like a really good grasp on this stuff. And I don't know, I thought it was well worth a read. And of course, of course, there are times where you want things to be clashing. You want colors. You want there to be too many colors. It depends on the purpose of the work. But I think like anything, or like we talk about with writing before, you know, in certain other episodes and things, sometimes you need to know the rules and be able to to, to do the basics and, and before you can kind of start to break them and really play with them. And I think it helps to understand sort of the basic color theory to understand, like, let's say you're trying to do the opposite, then you can understand how to do that as well or why that's having that effect. And I think having some sort of basic 
skill underlying that stuff is really, really helpful. And Greg does a really good job of kind of putting some of the real basics into kind of digestible words. Jeremy, any thoughts on this? I literally have no thoughts. I have struggled with color so many times. I mean, I like. What's your favorite yeah, color? I, I do like. Are we going to go there? Really? No, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I feel really exposed right now on the spot. I can't really kind of even even think about it. I did not imagine you having this reaction. Color is a really, it's a really emotional thing in some ways. And I think the best use of color is, yeah, when it's kind of done like through some kind of intuition. I love the idea that there can be some kind of more objective and mathematical things kind of applied to it. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting piece if anyone else kind of does struggle like me and makes everything look like some weird sports team from the 90s by accident and can never get around it. But yeah, some really good stuff in there. So yeah, Laura, thanks for bringing it to the table. As we like to or are trying to do every week, closing out the week, we are going through some of our open tabs that didn't make the cut, much like our IRL event open tabs, where we get four speakers up going over 10 open browser tabs. These are three that have been lingering for me. Number one, the site Loop de Loop. Loop de Loop is kind of like an yes. animation kind of community contest. And it's one of my my favorite things that's done. It's all over the world now. And I think it started in Australia. I'm not too sure. Like my information about this is actually really kind of... I think it started in Australia as well. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm probably getting things wrong and not kind of crediting the right people. But basically, the whole thing is every month they kind of set a theme and different people send in animations on that theme. And it's in my RSS. And I love kind of right now their theme is kind of weather. And as they publish kind of new events, they just kind of pop up in my feed. And I love kind of it's a great way to kind of spot new talent. So it's definitely kind of something that I'm going to be picking over over the next month. I've been to them before the screenings at Loop in Melbourne. People should definitely go. They, they each like month they screen the like top 100 looping gifts from the competition that is really good. Yeah, no, yeah. And there's, it's great to have that kind of digital and IRL component. My second link is the page for Slate's Summer Strut playlist for 2019. So it's a Culture Gap Fest or podcast every year. They get kind of recommendations of what should go on this playlist and they kind of post it here to Spotify. And I love it because we're in the middle of the winter and it, the weather is really bad. And so you don't have to be in summer to enjoy a summer strut. So this year and all the previous years um, are really fantastic and I highly recommend. And my final link comes from Gizmo. And this is a bit of a kind of novelty site called User In Your Face. And it's designed by a studio called um, Bagar. And basically, they try to design the most frustrating user experience that you can possibly have. <laughs> and so there's like buttons that don't go anywhere, you know, really kind of slow scrolling. It, it actually, it cracked me up to kind of to play with it to just realize that people still design sites kind of like this like you know breaking some of these rules so it's amazing to kind of see it kind of in action so yeah a great example there laura what do you got in your browser oh okay this week okay i actually have another npr tiny desk concert video this week i know i already did the sesame street one but i told you it's like my favorite content on the internet and i play it all day while i work so Anyway, this time it's a live performance by Imogen Heap from about a week ago. Do you remember Imogen Heap? I do. Yes. So she hasn't released an album since like 2014, but somehow she's still totally relevant and she's touring. And anyway, the whole video is beautiful, but the highlight is from about nine minutes, 15 seconds onwards where she showcases her amazing gloves. And I'd never heard about these before and I'm in total awe. So over the years, Imogen has helped to pioneer this really amazing technology that basically makes it possible for her to alter sounds, create loops and, and sort of compose music just by making these different hand movements and gestures. And 
in the video, she explains it really well and she does this amazing performance with it and it's just so fucking cool. Anyone into tech or music totally needs to watch this. Okay. The next link is just a very short video ode to a set of subway stairs in Brooklyn. I don't know if you've seen this, Jeremy, but basically just one of the steps is like just a tiny bit taller, like half an inch than the rest. And what that does is it makes most people trip on it because you kind of think they're all the same height and then you trip when you get to this one. And basically this video is just a montage of clips of various subway goers tripping over the same step uh, set to like old timey piano music. And it's great. It's very, very good. So this last link, it's another medium piece and uh, like clearly I'm getting tons of use out of my new membership. It's from their one zero blog, which is their tech and science vertical. And it's all about Kraft Heinz. They have this uh, division, I can't remember the name, but it's they're kind of in this race to build like the Netflix of food essentially. And it's just, it's an interesting read about the shifts in consumer behavior and technology that might upend the way that we think about to purchase and consume food, which inevitably will will shift in the sort of coming decades. Anyway, super interesting. All the links will be there and waiting for you. And to close out every week, it is time for the brilliantly named thumbs up, thumbs down, shaka, the time we dedicate each week to get the good, the bad, and the meritorious off our chest. Lara, what do you got for us? I'm abandoning my other one. I've got a big bloody thumbs down to Wi-Fi, <laughs> just to Wi-Fi and the pains that come with Wi-Fi. Everyone who listens to this will hear the lovely edited piece where everything's nice and smooth and Jeremy and I can hear each other the whole time. But the amount of times we've had to stop and re-record because I've been dropping out is just, it's killing me. It's killing me, Jeremy. I want to go have dinner and watch Stranger Things and we've had to record the same thing 900 times. Not to say I haven't loved talking to you, but really Wi-Fi right now, not my friend. Wi-Fi. Can I make no. a joke out of it? No, it's not going to work. Sorry, <laughs> not going to work. I equally have a thumbs down this week for white unsubscribed links. And where would I be seeing these unsubscribed links? They would be from unsubscribing from more of Laura's email <laughs> subscriptions. Obviously, the number is waning down, which I'm very happy about. But yeah, kind of a bit of an aside from these horrible UX decisions. Yeah, anyone who like, I just, it's, it's always such an existential decision when, when one of these emails come in. So it's like, you know, do I unsubscribe? Because sometimes unsubscribing, like maybe will take like two minutes to do the whole process. And then you get the confirmation that you unsubscribe or the worst possible scenario, the unsubscribe link is white on white text and you can't find it or it's in Spanish. And I don't know how, you know, unsubscribe <laughs> is written in Spanish or it's white and in Spanish in case nothing's getting unsubscribed from. Let's get going. Thank you very much, Lara. That'll do us for this week. You're welcome. I'm Jeremy Wartzman. She's Laura Chambaker, and this has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Our theme music is by totally unrelated to our company, Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. And if you want more of the podcast, archives of all of our shows, and the links can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.biz. If you want to receive all the links we talk about every week, you can sign up to a newsletter at jwg.is slash newslettering. Again, jwg.is slash newslettering. You can also find us mostly on Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y in Winter Like the Season. And drop us a note anytime at podcast at Jackie Winter. Com. Remember, this is an enhanced podcast. If you listen to this using a supported player, you'll be able to see the links to the articles as we're talking about them, as well as other visual content. And if you work for an ad agency or design studio and are interested in our live extended version of the show called Open Tabs, be sure to check out opentabs.rodeo for more info. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.
We've talked many times here about how advertising or really any visual content whatsoever can affect your mes- can affect fucking Christ. <laughs> I think this is affecting your One mental sec. state. <sighs> it is. It's only-